I would be okay. And you would do anything to please that person. You fear that person. And it drives you and motivates you to do things. That's fear of man, and it's a trap. I know some of you here are fishermen or fisherwomen. And when you fish, that's what fishing is. You have a hook with a worm or some kind of lure. And it's meant to trap the fish. The fish looks at it and thinks, yum, breakfast. I'm not even sure fish can think, but if they could, that's what they're thinking. Breakfast, this looks great. The fish doesn't know that when he takes it, he'll be destroyed. He'll be captured. And he can't release himself, at least not very easily, not usually. It's a trap, just like with a fish. So fear of man lures us. It sounds good. It looks good on the surface, but it's actually a trap. What this looks like is fear of man telling you, you know what? It just would be easier and much more comfortable for you to not share Christ with that person. It could be your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or your coworker. Because if you do, it could be gasp, awkward. It might be uncomfortable. They might reject you. They might turn away from you. They might remove their love from you. Fear of man says, it's easier, just don't do it. And scripture tells us that's a lie. Fear of man steals our joy. It robs us of obedience to God, and instead we end up obeying man. Here are a few ways you can know if fear of man is something you struggle with. And I would imagine, I would hope, most of you are already nodding your heads that, yes, this is me. And it's true for me too. I'm not up here saying, look at me, I've nailed it. I'm not afraid of any man. That's not true. Every time I preach, I face that challenge of will I be faithful to God or will I fear man? So, here are some ways you can determine if this is something you struggle with. Do you find it hard to tell people no? Are you always over committing to things? Things you know you don't have the time that you can't actually do. But you say yes anyways because you don't want to upset that person. Do you find yourself taking responsibility for somebody else's feelings? You think it's your job to make your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or your coworker or whoever it is to feel happy. You feel as if you have to do it. As if somehow their feelings are now your feelings. Do you find yourself feeling hypersensitive when somebody thinks or says anything about you? Are you hypersensitive to what other people think about you? And finally, do you have a hard time telling people about Jesus because of what they might think or do? I do. And I imagine you do. And if you do, then you probably have a fear of man issue, struggle. Do you know who did that? Who, excuse me, 
Do you know who did not have a fear of man problem? Jesus. That's right. Jesus did not have a fear of man problem. And he did and said all sorts of things that made people upset with him. His family thought he was crazy. You can look at that in the gospel accounts. They say he is out of his mind. He goes to his hometown and his hometown rejects him. Jesus faced all of those same kinds of struggles we face today. But he did not have a fear of man issue. In fact, on one occasion, Jesus is rebuking the religious leaders of his day. And he says some really strong things. And the leaders don't like it. They feel insulted. And so they tell Jesus this. So let's hear how Jesus responds. And as we hear his response, you tell me, does he have a fear of man problem? Luke chapter 11, verse 45 to 46. One of, the, one of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Strong words from Jesus. They're upset because he was pronouncing woes, And what does he do? More woes. You can't stop this guy. Jesus did not have a fear of man problem. And church, let me tell you, that is good news. Because if Jesus had a fear of man problem, he never would have went to the cross. Remember Peter. He did not want Jesus to go to the cross and die. But we can have good news. We can have a gospel because Jesus feared God. He did not fear man. And that takes us to how do we break this trap? We're caught in the snare. How do we break out? The answer, fear of God. Fear of God will smash and destroy this trap of the fear of man. That's how we break out. That's how we escape. Look at Proverbs chapter 14, verse 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Look at Jesus himself. Not much later in the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 12, verse 4 and 5. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear of God must replace our fear of man. And this is very important. This must go into your heart. We can't simply deal with fear of man by trying not to be fearful of man. If somebody, for instance, wants to stop smoking cigarettes, they shouldn't just think, I need to stop. I need to stop. They need to replace that 
with something else. In the same way, that's how our hearts were designed by God. We have fear of man in our heart, and we need to replace it with a greater godly desire, a fear of God. Fear of God will expel the fear of man from your heart. That's what we need in your heart. Normally, when we hear the word fear or being afraid, normally it has a negative connotation. It's not a virtue. We don't think it's that great. We try to avoid it. And there's a sense in which we see that aspect of fear in Scripture. There are times when we should actually be afraid. If you know you're sinful, but you haven't trusted in Christ, you should be afraid of God and His judgment. And I say that from the bottom of my heart, because I love you, that if you don't know Christ, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God who is holy and just. Now that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is the fear of God that Christians are to have. The virtue that we as believers are to pursue. And this fear of God is not the same as being afraid of God. There's an important difference. And here's how we know that. In the Old Testament, the prophets look forward to the Messiah, Jesus. And when they look forward to him, one of the virtues or characteristics of Jesus is that he will delight to fear the Lord. Now think with me for a moment. I know it's the morning, Sunday. Wake up. Let's think here. Jesus, the Messiah, is he sinful? No. No. Good. He's not sinful. Does he have a reason to fear judgment? No. No. Okay, great. So, Scripture tells us Jesus will fear God. And he will delight in doing that. And obviously, it's not a fear of judgment. So we read in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 3, And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. That's Jesus. My working definition of this godly fear of God is a holy joy in God. That's why I'm defining it. This fear of God is a holy delight in who God is. A holy joy. Because we serve a God who is not only the creator and judge, but also the redeemer. And so we should tremble and rejoice. That's the kind of fear I'm talking about. With this fear of God, there can also be pretenders. There can be a false fear of God. And one sign that will determine the true from the false one is that true fear of God turns you toward God, not away from Him. If you're afraid of God, obviously, it will turn you away from Him. But a true fear of God actually turns you towards Him. You're drawn to Him. You're attracted to Him. Think of it like this. And I know this analogy is kind of rudimentary, but just go with me for a moment. Why do we go to the zoo? Why do we? To see the animals, you're right. But now think for a moment. 
We don't go to the zoo, at least I don't go, to see squirrels or birds. You could see those any day in my backyard. You go because you want to see the scary animals, don't you? Well, that's why I go. I want to see the lions, the tigers, the bears. Oh my, that's what I want to see. But think about it. These animals are scary. We're afraid of them, but we're drawn to them. We want to see them. We want to be near them. So I know this is not a perfect analogy, but true fear of God is kind of like that. We should tremble and fear, and yet at the same time, we are drawn to God. We want to be with him, all the while trembling as we do it. Scripture tells us this much in Jeremiah Chapter 32, verse 40. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. So we've seen first, fear of man is a trap. It's a snare. It grabs you by the leg and it won't let go. We also saw that you break this grip, this trap, through fear of God. That destroys the trap. Now finally, I want us to address how do we avoid that trap to begin with. How do we avoid it? The answer is, it's the very good news that this whole series is about. The gospel is how you avoid that trap. The good news of Jesus coming here to die for our sins in our place. That will create in you a godly fear. A fear of God. We'll see that in a few moments here. Now, for those of you here who are type A and who take lots of notes in your journal and write out steps for everything, you probably want a process. You probably want a technique. You want the three steps to the fear of God. You want the three steps to take the gospel into your heart. And I hate to break it to you. There is no such process. There are no three steps. I know some of you, that will disappoint. I'm looking at one of them now in the back. (laughs) I'm sorry, that's not how it works. And some of you might say, well, what about reading our Bible? What about praying? What about fasting? What about coming to Calvary to hear your great sermons? What about singing? What about doing all these great Christian things that we should do? Are you saying we shouldn't do those? Yes, I am. No, I'm not saying that. We should do all those things. Those are good, right, and beautiful. What I am saying is, do those, don't trust in them. Do it, don't trust in it. Traditionally, the church has called those different things or activities the means of grace. At the core of the gospel is God's free and costly grace. 
Those activities are the means of grace. They, in a manner of speaking, put us in touch with the gospel. Hear how Michael Reeves describes this. They are means of grace. They are points of contact with the gospel, which alone has the power to transform us. In other words, it is not the mere act of going to church that does us good. It is the gospel that we hear there. The good news, that will change your heart. Doing these habits and techniques will not change your heart. Only the gospel does that. It's the very power of God for salvation, and that's what changes your heart, and that's what can replace that fear of man with the fear of God. We see this illustrated in the life of Martin Luther. Before Luther became a Christian, he was a monk, and he did all sorts of monkish things. He would read the Bible. He would memorize the Bible. He probably memorized more of the Bible than anyone here. He would sing hymns. He would fast. He would do all these things. And do you know what? His heart was not changed. He would have said there were seasons of his life during that time where he would hate God. He had no love and joy for God. And I say this now because in our time, habits and techniques are really in vogue. I even read a book called The Power of Habit. And I'm not against habits, per se. I'm against trusting in them. Habits can restrain, but they can't regenerate. Only God, through the power of the gospel, can regenerate and change a heart and give you a new heart with new desires and affections for God. It's the gospel. That's what changes us. God's forgiveness, his free forgiveness for anyone will lead to that godly fear. Look at Psalm 130, verse 3 through 4 with me. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is judgment, that you may be feared? No. But with you there is forgiveness. That you may be feared. I hope that shocks you the way it shocked me. God's forgiveness, the gospel, is what leads to this godly fear that can displace and expel any fear of man you might have. How do we begin to cultivate this sort of heart? After I just critiqued habits, how do we begin to do this? Well, it's not through three steps. It's through Christ. It's through faith. Hear what Martin Luther says. If you were with Martin and you asked him this question over a cup of coffee or with him, probably a pint of beer, here's what he would tell you. This is how you must cultivate Christ in yourself. 
Faith must spring up and flow from the blood and wounds and death of Christ. If you see in these that God is so kindly disposed toward you, that he even gives his own son for you, then your heart in turn must grow sweet and disposed toward God. Calvary, the good news is the answer to our fears. Look to Christ and rejoice and tremble. If you do, then the world will see a church that does not fear the face of man because she fears the face of God. Let's pray. Father, remind us that if you are for us, then no one can be against us. Remind us that we should not fear those who can kill the body and to do no more. Instead, we should fear you who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Help us so we might boldly proclaim the good news. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.